but you can find your place in Colossians chapter 3. Probably one of the most profound questions that could ever be asked is this. How in the world can someone who has been hurt so bad forgive so much? We have uh, been making our way, starting late spring all the way through this summer, we've been looking at the life of Joseph. And we have seen wickedness put on display. Remember in chapter 37, Joseph was taken by his brothers and they threw him into a pit. Now the idea was they were going to kill him. They despised him. They hated him. They made their venom known. And they're going to leave him in the pit. Uh, Perhaps he's going to starve to death. But then they decided a little bit later that, you know, we could actually make some money off of him. And so they sold their brother into slavery. And he lived a hard life, a life of a slave. And then, continuing to do what is right, he actually resisted temptation from a woman, Potiphar's wife. And he ends up getting accused of rape and spends the next 10 years in a prison. Hard years. Difficult years. And you've got to imagine that through his mind, over and over, he's got to thinking, this is really all the result of my brother's doing. They're the ones that actually did this. They threw me in the pit. They sold me into slavery. Because they hated me so, my life is so miserable. And yet, one of the things that strikes us as we've gone through this entire narrative account of the life of Joseph is that he has no bitterness toward his brothers. In fact, his life could be marked out as a heart of forgiveness. And he expresses it in such profound ways that it's like we wrestle with it like, how in the world could that be possible? Because all of us have been hurt in life. We've all had people that have mistreated us. And even when I even mention the word forgiveness or hurt, in many people's minds, some significant events take place and they just, they're, they're there. They see them once again. That abandonment, betrayal, those, those cutting words could have come from a, a parent, an ex-spouse, a current mate, a sibling, a former friend, a relative, a co-worker, a boss of yours. Perhaps it was a stranger. For some people in this room, some of your deepest hurts took place over a long period of time, months, perhaps even years. For others, it was just almost a moment in time. A certain act that when we even speak of the subject of forgiveness, it just causes you from your inside just to start turning, twisting. It strikes us at the deepest core part of our life when we speak about the subject of forgiveness because we've all been hurt. And I can just tell you, in this auditorium, there have been people that have been hurt tremendously. In 2005, I think you all are familiar of Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. He's on the radio. He's got a decent-sized church up there in uh, Frisco. And, uh, you know, you're familiar with him as a pastor, right? Probably read some of his books, hear him on the radio. You may not know his wife as well, Cynthia. But in 2005, she felt impressed upon by God that she should go public with the deep pain in her life the issues of depression that she had gone through for years in her life and how God had allowed her to experience and express forgiveness. And you may not be familiar with this, but let me just share just a little bit of some of the hard heart issues that she had, starting with her father. Her dad, 
tried to kill her mom, tried to strangle her. She saw this. And it's only when her mother actually passed out that he let go of his grip around her throat. And she knew that she had to forgive him. Uh, It was her dad that when her mother was dying of cancer, asked for a divorce and said, I want to divorce you while she's dying. It was Cynthia's dad who had a real bad temper, a major anger issue, and he beat her and her sister mercilessly while they were growing up. She said, the horror of these beatings, they, they never left my memory. And yet, she knew she had to come to a point in her life where she forgave her dad. How is it possible to forgive someone who has hurt you so bad? I mean, how, do, how in the world do we even do this? You know, I, I've certainly wrestled with the issue of forgiveness. I'm not going to necessarily go through all the challenges or difficulties or people I've had to forgive, but I can tell you that it was a, has been a significant issue in my life, that I had to come to learn how to forgive. I think all of us have, haven't we? We all have been inflicted with some emotional or physical pain or distress. It's hurt us. It's been a weight. And we have had to come to a point to forgive. And now, what, what is forgiveness anyway? We kind of throw the word out. You hear about it. But what does it actually mean to forgive? Well, simply it means to just voluntarily, as a choice, cancel a debt. Forgiveness is just a loving, voluntarily cancellation of a debt. It removes the barriers that create distance in a relationship. It allows for the possibility of an honest and growing relationship. Forgiveness is a commitment. It's a decisive, effective choice to release another from a burden or from a weight. So like, for instance, in the financial realm, if someone forgives you of your debt, what does that mean? They've released you from having the debt of having to pay it back. You're forgiven. It is released. No longer get these letters and people coming out of your door and saying, you got to do this. It's been forgiven. You're released. You move forward. And that is what we want to talk about. Forgiveness. Now, forgiveness isn't just oh, for those rare occasions. Actually, forgiveness is really a way of life. If you are in a relationship with another person, you're going to have to extend forgiveness. In fact, the more significant, the deeper of your deeper relationships, probably the more often you're going to have opportunity to extend and to express and to receive forgiveness. For instance, some people have the, the, this idea that if you have a really healthy marriage, why you never have to ask for forgiveness or extend it because you got the perfect marriage and everything's great. No, every marriage needs to extend and receive and ask for forgiveness. In fact, that is a sign for a healthy marriage. If you're not doing this in your marriage, you know what? You have an unhealthy one. You probably got some pretty serious problems. Your marriage may start looking kind of like a cold war zone. You become functional. You do your roles. But you are not allowing to have that deep, hard, intimate connection that comes when you and I express forgiveness. Now, why is forgiveness so important? Why is it so important? Let me give you three reasons. One, forgiveness actually reflects God's character. Forgiveness gives us an opportunity to extend and express God's forgiveness to another. And when we do so, we actually reflect God's character to another person. Let me give you another reason. Forgiveness releases us. 
It releases us from bitterness and resentment and tension. It, it allows us to remove those caricatures and all that pain. When we forgive, we not only release the other person, but do you know the prisoner that's generally released when you forgive is you. Let me give you just a physical demonstration of this. Most of you still have one of your hands, right? Okay, good. Uh, take it and make a fist. I mean, do it. Come on. They're like, oh, I don't do this. Just do it. Make a fist. I mean, clench it. Come on. You can do better than that. Don't tell me I'm not very strong. Just do it. Squeeze your hand. Make a fist. I don't want you to hit anybody. No, this is a message on forgiveness. All right. Okay. I don't want you to. Huh, no, we're not going to hit anybody in case you had that weird idea. All right. You just keep holding that there for a minute here. I want you. You know what happens here? You know, what happens if you left this for like five minutes? What happens for an hour? What happens if you kind of went this way for a day? All right. Okay. You can stop crying. Okay. Release. Try it. Try it. Whoa. Do you notice how hard it is to actually release? See how that, you see how quickly everything got all clenched up and you got all tense all through your arm? And do you notice that your fingers even feel a little weird? Hey, guess what? That's what happens with our soul and in our heart when we choose not to forgive. It's like you make a fist and you clench up and everything gets tight. This is a lack of forgiveness. It leads to ulcers. Lack of forgiveness is a primary reason for depression. It contorts you. It distorts you. People that don't forgive, it starts here. And you get twisted up in here. And pretty much everything in life gets polluted. But pretty soon, the unforgiving person, it's expressed in their face. It's kind of like they got just that little frown of disappointment. That it just, you know where it came from? It came from this. They just haven't released. You see, when we forgive, forgiveness releases us. Forgiveness releases us to experience God's grace. Forgiveness releases us to experience power and prayer, uh, spiritual vitality. If you want fruitfulness in your ministry, you have to forgive the people that hurt you. And when you're involved in ministry, when you're serving and caring and seeking to build up other people, they're going to give you plenty of opportunity to forgive. And if you can't learn the lesson of forgiving them, then you're going to be short-circuited. You're going to have to be put on the sidelines because you're going to be all contorted and twisted up. Your life is going to look like a fist, like a club. And you simply are going to put yourself in a position where you really can't minister to others because there's a heart problem, a heart work that has to take place. Let me give you one other thing why forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness reaps great blessing. Certainly in your life, if we can come to a point where we forgive those who have hurt us, we're going to experience uh, healing, steps toward maturity. I don't feel like... We are truly Christ-like till we've come to a point where we're forgiving. And when we are forgiving, we are like Jesus. Remember when Jesus is on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Ernest Hemingway wrote a story about a father who became estranged to his son, his teenage son. They're having a lot of problems, a lot of conflict. And that teenage son is like, hey, I'm out of here. And he runs away. And so the father is desperate. He wants to find his son. He wants to make things right. He wants reconciliation. So he's searching all over for his boy. And finally, in a last-ditch effort, he's in Madrid looking for his son. And so he posts the following ad in the newspaper, and it says this, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. 
I love you, your father. Well, read the message. Next day, meet me in front of the the newspaper office at noon. Well, the next day, 1150, 12 o'clock, noon, father shows up to the post office, I mean, to the newspaper office and you notice there's a huge gathering of people. In fact, there were 800 Pacos who were looking for the forgiveness of their father, the love of their dad. You know, when we talk about forgiveness, it reaps great blessing not only in your life, but in the life of another person to experience mercy and grace. It like opens the door for them to receive what they probably most need. But you've got to have strength that comes from apart from you to be able to do that. But when we do, these people who are in such great need, they have the possibility of experiencing forgiveness. Now, how in the world did Joseph do that? I mean, think of it. If you had been even mistreated by your family, how many of you have been left in a pit? I'd just be curious. Oh, nobody? Anybody? You're trying to kill you? Or you're one of your brothers? No? Uh, did anybody get sold into slavery? Okay, just a few of us. Oh, no, just kidding. Okay. Could you imagine how did he come to a point where he was so forgiving? You want the answer? You want to see some insight? In Genesis chapter 50, remember when they dad died and they're like, oh, my goodness. Now, now Joseph is really going to let us have it. So they remember they sent the servants like dad told us to tell you to make sure you forgive us. Right. Remember that? And he saw the fear all over them. When they come, they fall down before him. It's, it's, it's a good show. You see it all in verse 18, but in chapter 50, verse 19, but Joseph said to them, hey, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Let me just stop right there. When it comes to forgiveness, judgment is ultimately God's issue. Leave it with the Lord. Leave it with him. Judgment is ultimately God's issue. Really, And the final analysis, it's an issue of faith. And what Joseph said is, hey, listen, I'm not in God's place. When it comes to the balance of justice and mercy, I'm leaving that with God. I'm not in God's place. Judgment is ultimately God's issue. If we're going to come to a point where we are truly in a position to forgive, we need to realize judgment is really God's issue, not mine. And then second, notice how he responded. He said, as for you, which you meant, You meant this for evil. What you flat out did to me was wicked. It was wrong. It was evil. And yet he said, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. What he's saying there is that I am able to forgive your evil and your wicked actions because I am trusting in the goodness of God. God is good. And I'm trusting in that you did something evil and wicked, but I've released you because I am trusting in the goodness of God. You see, when we do that, it it gives us the ability to have dependence upon God and in his strength rather than trying to control and manipulate circumstances. And furthermore, there may be something that God is accomplishing even through the wickedness that was actually perpetrated upon you that you don't even realize maybe at this present time, but God is accomplishing it. You see, because they did this evil action, God actually worked that out for their good to actually save them and all of Egypt. And so you want to look for, see how maybe God is working in your midst. And then I just love what he did in verse 21. He says there, he said, so therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And so he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know what he did? He loved even when it hurts. 
You know that forgiveness is real when hate is replaced with love. You know that forgiveness is real when hate is replaced by love. That's what we saw in the life of Joseph. Now, you're going, that is deep. And I want you to cons- I want you to ponder that because this theology given to us in the life of Joseph in Genesis 50 must be ours if we are to truly forgive as he did. Now, how do we possibly do that? Now, that's where Colossians 3 comes in. How is it possible that you and I can truly forgive? It all gets started that you have the right theology, the right understanding of who God is. And you can do no better chapter than Colossians chapter 3. I'd, I'd recommend that you on a regular basis just read through Colossians chapter 3 because it establishes who we are in Christ. Remember in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and following says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you were once dead in your sins, you turned from your sin and trusted Christ, the Bible says that you've been raised up with him. You are united with him. And we have an earthly propensity to want to keep focused on the circumstances and the horizontal and the hurt of our life. The text says, set your mind on Christ. He says, verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For this reason, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ's death to sin, when you believe in him, becomes our death. We have literally actually died to sin we are a new creature in christ we are alive in fact the text says we are hidden meaning that it's concealed from the world our ultimate identity with christ but it's also a place of safety and security because our life is united with christ he says for you have died and your life is hidden with christ who is in god and when christ who is our life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory So this is what a Christian is. A Christian isn't someone who's cleaned up their act and following some moral code that we found in the Bible. A Christian is one who recognizes that, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've done bad things. I'm wretched, but I am trusting in Christ and I'm united with him. And I believe that he has paid the full penalty for my sins. He has forgiven me on the basis that he himself has paid the penalty for me. And so with this understanding that we're united with Christ, we can live differently. And if you're new here to fellowship, let me just tell you, this is our mission statement to glorify God by living out the life that we have in Christ. We glorify God by living out this life that we have because we're united with Jesus Christ. That means we absolutely can live differently. You, on your own strength, in your own abilities and on your own merit, cannot forgive. But in Christ, all things are possible. And so how do we live as those who are united with Christ? Well, verse 12 in chapter 3, he tells us. So those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. God chose you. You are now a you are holy and beloved. That is your status. He says, this is how do we live as those who are drawing from strength from Christ, clinging to him, believing in him. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, Patience. That may have not been true of your life prior to Christ. You might have been a little hard, rough around the edges, mean, cruel, obstinate. Now in Christ, the Spirit of God is seeking to develop new fruit, a new lifestyle. And notice then verse 13. I've actually underlined this in my Bible because I know this is what the Lord wants me to do. 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other. You see that in verse 13? Whoever has a complaint against anyone, whoever has a complaint, any complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. How did, how did Christ, how did God forgive us? Did he forgive us for just some things or all things? In fact, God is the one who first approached us. He's the one who's the initiator. He's the one who drew, him to him, uh, drew us to himself. He forgave and sought us first in the same manner. That's how you and I are to live when it comes to forgiveness. This is not a natural act. If there's part of you that's going, I can't even handle this. I don't, I don't even want to think about doing this. Guess what? It's residual in all of us. The natural man does not want to do and follow the things of Christ. But the supernatural, the one who is united with him, the spirit says, this is right. This is the way to go. This is the path of freedom, the path of life. You know, it's C.S. Lewis who wrote, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Right. We all think like oh, forgiveness is great. It's the epitome of Christianity. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful idea. It's all great until we have to actually practice it. Friends, we're going to talk about it. How can we really practically do this? Because we're united with Christ. Let me just be real clear. If you choose not to forgive, it will be like a cancer in your body. And it's going to lead to a slow, ugly death. How in the world can we forgive? Remember uh, Jesus. Jesus talked a lot about forgiveness. One day I had boys around a tree and said, hey, I want you to do this. Listen, if one of your brothers comes to you and he's offended you and hurts you and he sins against you and he does that seven times a day. <laughs> okay, every brother like that. And he says, but, but each time, though, he comes back and he repents. You know, he changes direction like oh, what I did is totally wrong. Would you forgive me? Jesus says, I want you to do it. Forgive him. Remember that? Luke 17, verse 4. And you remember how the disciples responded to that? They said this. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. What you just asked us to do, there's no possible way. Now, I thought about this. It's interesting. Why didn't they say increase our love? Because love is such an important component to forgiveness. And you think like, well, you have more love, we'll be able to forgive more. But really, it's a faith issue. It's an issue, will we trust God that his way is right, even if we don't feel like it? You see, the obedience to forgiving others, it leads to trusting God to take care of the consequences, to handle the other people's misunderstanding, all the problems that come with that, and to actually work everything out for his good and his glory. It takes faith to do that, to do as Jesus is asked, as he's written in his word, to actually forgive. That takes faith. Faith. You see, forgiveness is a choice of trusting God and his goodness. And that's what he's asking for. So what we do, we come and say, Lord, will give you, you give me the strength and the ability to forgive, to release, and to move forward. This is a critical faith issue. Yes, it is good to have increased love, but actually it's going to come down to whether you're going to trust your own thinking and your own abilities or your trusting God. God, which is faith and his word.
And Jesus says, forgive. You see, bottom line is this. The fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ. You're trusting Christ. You're in Christ. You believe in him. He's your life. It is from this root comes the fruit of forgiveness. where We can actually release the people who have hurt us. Now, all of us, we're going to have to ask for forgiveness at times. So what does it look like? What is what is asking for forgiveness look like? Let me tell you what you, what it's not. It's not like you realize you've done something wrong and you go kind of pacing around, you know, like a dog. that's not exactly sure what he's supposed to do. And then you're just like, sorry. OK, if you think like, oh, the beautiful gift of forgiveness has been manifested in my home. If you think that's what it is, I'm sorry, you're mistaken. And if that is your pattern, you remember, I remember when I once worked up the courage to go, sorry. OK. That's not what we're talking about here. That's you thinking, well, I'm off the hook because I said the one word that feels like vinegar coming out of my mouth. Sorry. Okay? What is it, though? Uh, what does forgiveness really look like? Let me tell you, spiritually mature individuals humble themselves to ask for forgiveness as often as the need arises. Okay? Now, it may be hard. This may seem really awkward for these words to come out of your mouth. You may have thought, these words will never come out of my mouth, nor perhaps you've never even experienced it. You don't have a model. I'm going to actually give you the pattern here. I'm going to actually tell you, what does this look like? So you just, first of all, you admit that you were wrong. Say, you know, I was wrong. I shouldn't have. And then you just kind of fill in the blank. Be willing to say, I am sorry. By the way, eye contact, okay? We're always working with my kids on this. We we look at each other's eyes. You want to communicate with people, you have to look in their eyes. This idea of kind of looking down or looking up in the sky or looking away, this is not communicating. You look them in the eye. I am sorry. And then you state specifically what you did. Don't just, sorry. Okay, I am sorry for what specifically you did. And then just be willing to repent. You know, just say, you know, I know that I hurt you deeply. I, I don't plan on doing that again. And then just say, will you forgive me and you ask that's what you do now i'll just tell you what this looks like in my marriage okay i'm the one that's usually the offender surprise surprise okay all right and so i i have to you know god brings it to my attention okay sometimes i slow but i eventually get the message there and i i go and i approach my wife karina and we go through this i tell her what i did i was wrong i'm sorry will you forgive me i'm sure this made you feel this way will you forgive me and so I present it. It's, it. The ball is in her court. You know, and so, you know, a couple of weeks later, she, uh, she gets back to me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, really, it's, it's usually like 30 seconds or so. But she has to process it. Probably she's uttering a quick prayer like, Lord, here we are again with my husband. Okay. And, but then she says this. You're forgiven. And this is what we do in our marriage. But we always, when that happens, we kiss, we hug. And we drop it. We never think of it again. Now, that's what you want to do in your relationships. You have to come to a point where you're willing to ask for forgiveness. Now, even if they will not forgive you, let's say you go and you approach that and they're like, I'm not into it. I don't care. You hurt me. I'm not forgiving you. You know what we have to do? We just have to weave it with the Lord. We rest in the fact that Christ has forgiven us. We have come to him. We have confessed our sin before him. And we rest in the fact that we're forgiven by him. And whether that person forgives us or not really is not the issue. You've been faithful to do as you should have in the situation.
Now, how do you approach someone who has wronged you? Okay, this is going to happen. Uh, I wanted to be real clear. How do you actually do this? Well, first of all, make sure it's a sin issue. All right. This is real important. Not a preference, not something they said or did that you just didn't like. Okay, you're not the queen of the universe or the king or whatever. All right. And just because people do something that you don't like doesn't mean they're evil and they're wrong and they need to come and apologize to me. Uh -uh -uh. You're thinking way too highly of yourself. Make sure it's a real sin issue, that you have a real problem. And you're like, well, how in the world am I supposed to figure that out? Write it out on a piece of paper and maybe put a Bible verse or two as to why this is directly, this really is a sin issue, not some sort of indirect reference that they're supposed to love me and this was unloving. And so, you know, no, no. Specifically, why is this a sin issue? Okay. um, Second, you want to be sure that your heart is clean and it is focused on the cross. You need to be spiritual. Remember what Jesus said, you know, remember he said, listen, I know that you all really want to kind of address these issues in people's lives and help them grow, right? I got, you want to get those little specks out of their eye? First thing you need to do, though, is get the huge log that's out of yours. What? I got a log? You know, I mean, in the imagery, it's hyperbole, but can you imagine someone with a log in their eye? But he's like, I'm your eye doctor. I'm going to help you as soon as I find you. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it is so ridiculous to think that you are going to address a sin issue in the life of another when you have not addressed the heart issues in your own life. First, address the issue in your own eye. Pull out that log, and then you're going to see clearly to be able to help another. You have to be spiritual. The whole mere possibility of you actually enjoying rebuking another person, like, oh, this is going to feel good. I cannot wait to watch them squirm. It disqualifies you from doing it. Okay? You yourself, you have to be walking with God. You take these issues, and this is what you do. Take it to the cross. You and your sin. Think about what have you done in this relationship that has caused the problem. Okay? You may not be as squeaky clean as you think you are. Maybe you were, oh, yeah, you know, maybe treating them really cold and cruel like that was not helpful. And maybe that's what. Take it to the cross. You see, when we come to Jesus, we just come before him, we lay the problem, the hurt, the pain, the sin before him. And we see it in light of the cross. We realize we all are in need of forgiveness. And it's something about coming to Jesus that gives us perspective. And we see matters as they really are. If you're not praying and putting this before the Lord, please do not trust your judgment when it comes to addressing sin issues. You probably are going to be wrong. Take it to the cross. It's such an awesome, holy place, this dynamic of relationship where we just take all of the sin, ours, whatever has happened to us, someone hurt us, we take it to Jesus. And then we must be clear, prayerful, and gentle when you do this. A great text, Galatians 6.1, says this, Brethren, if any man is caught in any trespass, this is what you do, you who are spiritual. That means you who are walking with God, you who know Christ, you who are concerned with the body of Christ and unity and health, you who are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to himself, lest you too be tempted. You do it with gentleness. Let me tell you, if you're going to try to talk with someone who's not walking with Christ, they're probably going to become pretty volatile because people that are not walking with the Savior are prone to some pretty extreme emotional fluctuations and anger might be one of them and you might be on the wrong side of that stick when they lash out on you. You must be spiritual and do not be phased 
by their behavior, as bad as it may be. What you want to do is you state the issue clearly, not sarcastically, not with any sort of crass, disrespectful tone, but to say, you know, hey, can I speak to you about this? Or I'm having trouble with something. Or may I ask you about it? Verify the facts. It's kind of like Chrysostom. He was the um, fourth century proclaimer and pastor. And he said this, correct him, but neither as a foe nor as an adversary exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicines. That's how we go. We speak the truth and love. And remember this, the goal is restoration. We're dealing with people, hearts, just like you. And remember, the goal is restoration. Now, what if the person doesn't repent? What if you you bring it to them? It's an obvious sin issue and they're unbroken, but they've hurt you. Painfully so. Maybe you've got the scars to show it. And you certainly have them perhaps emotionally and in your heart. What do we do? Jesus says, forgive. In fact, he said in Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, by the way, standing and praying was actually the most common way they actually prayed uh, in the time of Jesus. When you stand praying and you realize that someone's got something against you, he says, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you don't, don't think the father is going to forgive you. You see, it's really a faith issue. And we come before God and say, Lord. I want to release this individual for what they've done. I don't even think they had any idea how much that hurt me. I forgive them. We forgive. Do not let one hard-hearted individual wreck your life. Don't. Don't let one hard-hearted individual wreck your life. You see, what we want to do is we go to the Lord and we forgive even if the other person could care less. We forgive because we choose to do what is right, not because of some sort of response that we're hoping to get out of another person. Okay? And remember this God made the first move. He expressed and extended forgiveness. He gave Christ while we were yet what? Sinners out there doing it our own, hating God, self centered, could care less. In an article entitled The High Cost of Forgiveness, Linda Hunter tells the story of a woman struggling through a divorce. And this woman wrote, after my husband left, I rehearsed every detail, all that he had done to break up our marriage. I could recount times, places, and details, and I did. But as I tried to move on, no matter what successes and new directions I found, I felt like I was tethered to a stake from the past. I pulled to try to loosen its hold, and all the while grasping onto the continuing affronts, From my husband, and while the past and present feelings restrained me, they did nothing to hold my husband back. It finally dawned on me I had to forgive and let go. It didn't happen in a day or a week or even a year. Instead, it is still happening every day as I make the decision to forgive. I realized that though the cost of forgiveness was high, the cost of unforgiveness, both for me and my children, was higher. And an exacted and even greater toll, I chose to forgive. Now, what does extending forgiveness look like? What does it look like to extend forgiveness? It's not this. Uh, No big deal. Don't worry about it. That's not extending forgiveness. Don't think someone comes and they come to the courage. They probably prayed about it pretty seriously. They come to you and they ask forgiveness. Please do not give them the disservice like, 
<laughs> no big deal. Don't worry about it. Huh? Over. Because that is not extending forgiveness in a way that is going to be affirming to them and truly receiving it for yourself or for them. So let me just tell you what it is. Forgiveness is giving. It's giving your hurt to God. Okay? Don't unleash it on them. Okay? But you give your hurt to God, and then you give acknowledgement that you have forgiven the person that has sinned against you. You do it specifically by saying, I forgive you for, and then you state explicitly what they're asking for forgiveness for. Okay? And then... If you can, do it graciously, because maybe you've done something like that, you know? Maybe you snapped at someone like, you know, I've done things like that before, too, and I, I'm sorry. I, you're, you're forgiven. And then give it no further thought. Forgiveness is looking to God to do his work in your heart and their heart. Forgiveness is not, okay. I'll forgive, but I will not forget. Okay? It is, it's not that. It's not the idea of like, all right, all right, all right, all right. I will bury the hatchet, but I'm keeping that handle out there so I can access it anytime I want, right? You know? Like you're like, ah, oh, no. That's not true forgiveness. Forgiveness, if you want to see what forgiveness looks like, once again, we must look back to God. In the New Covenant, as spelled out like in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, there's some amazing verses of how God forgives. I want you to wrestle with this and come to terms with this. He says in Hebrews 8.12, he says, God says, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. What? In case you miss it, he says basically the same thing in Hebrews 10.17. He says, In their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Time out. How, How is that possible? We know that God knows all things. He is omniscient. How is it that he doesn't remember all of the wicked things and the bad things that we've done? Let me tell you how he does it. God chooses not to remember. In fact, this is the gospel that we who believe in Christ were united with him. He no longer sees us in our sin. He sees us united with his son. When he always as he's looking at us, he always sees us united with Christ It brings great joy and delight to his heart. You're forgiven because Christ has paid it all. And so that is how we are to forgive, to choose not to remember. Clara Barton, she's the founder of the American Red Cross, and she was reminded one day of a very vicious deed that someone had done to her by a friend. And she said, don't you remember what they did to you, what that person did? And this was her response, classic. She says, no. I distinctly remember forgetting it. I distinctly remember forgetting it. I choose not to remember. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Now, some of you have been hurt bad, all right? You're probably bleeding in the parking lot all the way in here, all right? I know it's painful. You've got tears in your eyes. You're hurt. This oftentimes is going to be a process. In fact, it seems this. The deeper the hurt, the more extensive the process. But, but forgiveness is a decision of the mind and the heart that has to be reaffirmed, reaffirmed over and over and over again. And that, you know, anytime that comes up, that hurt, what they did, Lord, I remember forgiving them. I don't want to think about this. I want to think about you, your grace. I forgive them. And maybe even just pray for them right there. 
But it is a choice and a choice that you'll have to make. I think many of you remember in 1981, there was an assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan's life. And uh, it was pretty traumatic. Uh, It was a lot more serious than he let on. I mean, yeah, he walked into that hospital. As soon as he walked through those doors, that ER, he collapsed. And he just about died. There was a bullet that was not very far away from his heart. And it took him a while to actually figure out what had happened. They couldn't find where that had sliced through him. And he told his daughter, Reagan did, Patty Davis, after he recovered, he told her this. He told her he knew that his physical healing was, was based on his ability to forgive John Hinckley for what he did. And Patty Davis went on to write, and she said that by him actually explaining that to me, it gave me an example of Christ-like thinking and living. She saw that how important forgiveness is physically, emotionally, spiritually. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to put ourselves in dangerous situations or a dangerous situation for our children when we forgive. You've got to exercise discernment. And if you need help, go to a trusted brother or sister who's got wisdom and maturity, and they can help you kind of sort through, yeah, no, I don't think I would probably do that, or yeah, I think they've built up trust, and I think we can, you can do that. But in your life, don't be running around, remember the Alamo, okay? It, it can't be that way. It will not work. That is not of Christ. You see, for us, the fruit of forgiveness, it's rooted in our relationship With Christ, you and I who know Christ through him, we have the ability to forgive. And all of us are at a point or have been at a point or will be at a point where we need to do this. And this is the vision that God gives us, that we who have been forgiven by Christ, we can actually express this forgiveness to the people in our lives. Churches would be far more healthier. Our marriages, our families would be far stronger If we would simply put into action what Christ has given us and given us in his word, forgive. And I can just tell you as being a pastor, just being a pastor and looking even at this room, there's some folks here that have been hurt tremendously. And I have seen the power of Christ working in their lives, them crying and expressing and extending forgiveness to someone who has hurt them so deeply because they're so close. And I'll tell you, it is powerful to see the hand of God at work in their heart. See, the fruit of forgiveness, it's rooted in our relationship with Christ. This is possible. In fact, friends, it is necessary. When Shannon Etheridge was 16 years old, an act of forgiveness and love changed her life forever. As a 16-year-old, she just had her license. She was driving to high school. And while she was driving... She actually ran over an older woman on her bike, Marjorie Josfar, and killed her. She was just, it was such a traumatic event to see that she actually killed this older woman on her bike. Um, She was consumed with intense guilt, as you might imagine. She actually uh, wrote that several times she actually um, considered suicide. But she never took her life because of the healing response of one man. A man by the name of Gary, who was Marjorie's husband. Gary, Marjorie's husband, forgave that 16-year-old Shannon. 
He asked the attorney to drop all the charges against her and, and it was saving her from a probable guilty verdict. And what he asked her to do is to carry on the legacy of his wife and to walk in her footsteps. In fact, he said this, quote, you can't let this ruin your life. He said this, God wants to strengthen you through this. In fact, I am passing Marjorie's legacy on to you. And you see, Gary's act of forgiveness to Shannon, what that did is it it gave her the ability to experience God's love in a very profound way, to know forgiveness in its essence. And it changed her life forever. Just by the name Shannon Etheridge, some of you are like, I've heard that name. Where have I heard it? Well, she's a best-selling author these days. She wrote Every Girl's Battle, Every Woman's Battle. She recently wrote a book called Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits. And what's a book about? It's about a book about women who are overcome with guilt and wounds in their life and how you find health and strength and healing in Christ. Where did she learn that? She learned it from a man who took the matter to the foot of the cross and expressed healing, hope, and forgiveness to her. Friends, There's a powerful thing that takes place when we take our hurt and our feelings to the foot of Jesus Christ at the cross and we ask him to do his work and ask him for the strength to forgive. We bring everything to him. And what it does, friends, is it it releases us. We're free. The caricatures of people that we put out, the barriers, the tension, the poison that's kind of been flowing through our lives. When we forgive, it's released. And you know those years that the locusts have eaten, it looks like there's nothing left to our life. God will replenish. And we must go with his plan. His plan is simply this. You who are in Christ, forgive. In fact, it says, forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also shows you. So to whom do you need to extend forgiveness today? Let's pray. Lord, I come before you with my dear friends. and We have once again come and had this amazing encounter with your word. Your spirit has brought to mind perhaps one of the most important and deepest issues of our life. The willingness and the ability to forgive. So, Lord, would you do your heart work in our midst? Give us strength beyond measure. You know our weaknesses. Help us to see all these matters in the light of the cross. And for the person who is here today who has never put their trust in Jesus, but finally understands he came and paid it all, Lord, would they pray with me and say, Lord, you know me. You know what I've done. You know what I've been. But today I really see not only the depth of my sin, but how much you love me in Christ. So I place my faith and trust in him and I experience forgiveness from him. So I will eventually be able to express forgiveness to the people in my life. Lord, would this be true of all of us? May we live in light of your gospel, of the cross, and in your son's life for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name.